This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast, only on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob? I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Well, uh, listen up, lawyers. If you're not embracing and putting 21st century technology to use, you are, of course, centuries behind your competitors. And even the underfunded, understaffed, and underappreciated, very slow-moving court system is updating the way that it conducts business. This is happening at the state, federal, and uh, even local court level. And one of the most important changes is happening right now is one we're going to talk about this morning, or today, rather, on uh, Coast to Coast, is e-filing. Well, it wasn't too long ago that nobody uh, among us would have known what e-filing was, and, and uh, just a little bit beyond that, that e-filing was talking about faxing documents to a court. Uh, but uh, what we're talking about today is, uh, is uh, much more modern than any of that. So in other words, if you haven't heard of e-filing or you're still avoiding it, you can't afford to miss this edition of Coast to Coast. Let's bring our guests on now. Uh, with us today is Laura Eikens. Laura is the Senior Research Specialist for the American Bar Association's Legal Technology Resource Center. Laura has recently uh, helped compile the forthcoming ABA uh, Legal Technology Survey Report. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. And also here is Tom Mile. Tom is the Senior Counsel and Litigation Technology Support Coordinator at Cowles & Thompson in Dallas. Tom has been on Coast to Coast in the past and is a member of the ABA Tech Show Planning Board. Welcome back, Tom. Thanks for having me. Laura, uh, if you could just start us off by giving us a kind of an overview of what we're talking about when we're talking about e-filing. Well, e-filing or electronic filing is it's simply a method of filing court documents that uses an electronic format rather than traditional paper. Parties convert their documents to the file format that's specified by the court, and they file their documents either via email or over the Internet. There can be a great cost savings involved because e-filing reduces courier and copying fees as well as the use of paper and staff time. Well, Tom, what advice would you give to lawyers who so far have avoided e-filing? If you haven't e-filed yet, my, my biggest advice is to make sure that you've got the right technology. Now, I think it, it depends on wherever you happen to be located, whether e-filing is even available. I think in the federal courts, it's available just about everywhere, if not everywhere. In the state courts, that, that it differs somewhat because the state courts are, are slower to adapt. But I think that whatever you have available in your area, make sure that you've got the right technology to do that. And it's, and it's basically very simple. You, you need a word processing program, either Microsoft Word or WordPerfect. You need the ability to convert those documents into PDF, PDF format, either Adobe Acrobat or a scanner that will convert into PDF format. Uh, and then basically all that you need after that is an Internet connection and a browser. Sounds pretty simple. It can be pretty simple. Uh, it, it's a matter of, of getting in and trying it. In fact, all the folks here at the firm who are e-filing regularly are amazed at how easy it is once they start. Uh, the federal district courts, at least here in Texas, require training, which I, I think is a little bit uh, 
and I won't say it's not necessary, but uh, it, it's a lot easier than people think once they start using it. Well, Laura, as Tom mentioned, uh, not all courts are moving towards uh, e-filing. The federal courts have been kind of leading the way. Uh, you've done some research on this, and you have some uh, some uh, insight as to how far this has developed in the state and federal courts. Is that right? Yeah. Well, uh, as Tom said, most federal courts are moving to e-filing. As of June 2006, there's 89 district courts, 92 bankruptcy courts, the Court of International Trade, and the Court of Federal Claims. They're all using e-filing. All federal courts are supposed to be on the CMECF, that's their case management electronic case filing system, by later this year. The National Center for State Courts has links to about 19 states with jurisdictions that have e-filing. On our LTRC website, we have about 20 states listed that have jurisdictions which have e-filing rules in place. Laura, before we go too far, what can you give us that website? Uh, our, LTR, our LTRC website is www.lawtechnology.org. Great. Thanks. Um, but having the rules in place doesn't necessarily mean they have a system in place, but they are start, you know, starting to address the issue. The bottom line is that federal courts are almost all using e-files, filing, while state and local courts are definitely lagging behind. It looks like some of them might be starting to get the message, though. But to what extent is is uh e-filing becoming mandatory. Tom, what's the experience in Texas or in the courts that you've worked in? Well, in the courts that I've worked in, it's really only mandatory, I think, in bankruptcy court, um, in Texas anyway. I'm not, I can't, I'm not sure if the federal courts are mandating it, but I think that anyone who is regularly practicing in federal court is e-filing in federal court. Um, it is certainly not mandatory in the states, and here in Texas anyway, uh, although it is, it is coming on rapidly, we probably still have only about 20 counties in the state that are offering e-filing, and it is, it is not mandatory by any means. Well, it appears that the majority of lawyers, although probably not very many among our listeners, uh, don't file e-file uh, e court documents, and it looks like uh, motions and pleadings are the main category of e-filings. Is that consistent with your research, Laura? Actually, according to our research, 44% said they never file electronically. So that means a majority, 56%, are filing electronically. Um, motions and pleadings are the top two categories of documents, followed by appearances, certificates, and discovery documents. I wonder if we could just take a step back and have Laura ask you to, to tell us what, about the research study that you've just completed and what that is and what that encompasses so our readers can have the context of what we're talking about here. I said readers, I meant listeners. <laughs> So the ABA's Legal Technology Resource Center does an annual survey of attorneys in private practice, and we ask them questions about how they use technology in their practices. The survey is published as five separate volumes, and each volume covers a specific topic, and we have one volume that's devoted to litigation and courtroom technology. So that's, you know, just an overview of the survey itself. Tom, how does it benefit an attorney to do e-filing? I mean, we mentioned some things like, you know, it's faster to the courthouse and other things like that, but how do you find it? I think that's the primary benefit. I, well, I think what it does is it, it gives the attorney um, the freedom to, uh, to, 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 I don't want to say to ignore the deadlines, but to be flexible with the deadlines. You know, bef before when you were either mailing things to the courthouse or d hand delivering them, you had to get there before the court closed. You had, to, if, if the court is in your town, you needed to get there by four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon, whatever the case may be. And if you were mailing it out, you had to, to get it out by overnight mail. Uh, now, with e-filing, you are able to file right up uh, up until 11.59 a.m. or p.m., and it is considered as uh, taken on time and filed timely. So that's the, that's the primary 
benefit from e-filing. I think that the other benefits happen to be the uh, the human cost of delivering things to the courthouse, the other costs associated with uh, with copying and mailing out the documents, and, and they are somewhat offset by the filing fees. But uh, there's no question that it is very much a time saver. There's a fairly famous uh, opinion about Microsoft filing just a few minutes late on a uh, brief and the other side taking him to task for it, where the judge basically said, relax, guys, I was asleep at the time, so close enough. <laughs> what, what about the debate over the technology of, of e-filing? I mean, Tom, you mentioned uh, PDF as being the format of choice, but there certainly has been a lot of discussion over the years about using other standards, XML-based standards or whatever. I mean, is that debate pretty much over? Are, we all, are the courts all settling on PDF as the format for e-filing? Well, I, I think that certainly for now, PDF is the format. There are a number of, I would guess, task forces that are working on an XML standard. And, and for the listeners who don't understand, I don't understand it either. So that's, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly not something that's going to be coming in the next few years. But an XML format is essentially a type of data file that makes it very easy for people to fill out forms and to create documents that can be read across a wide spectrum of applications. Uh, that That's what some committees are working on to try and get to, but I think that for the near future, we're going to be using the Word or WordPerfect into PDF standard. Now, there are some places, for example, here in bankruptcy court in, in Texas, and I would imagine in some of the federal courts, um, they actually would require and, and, and prefer that lawyers file orders uh, or other documents that are subject to being edited in the original Word format. So, uh, that's still happening in uh, in an editable format, but that's I, I think the reason why we're we're thinking about moving to XML is because it's editable, because people can fill things out, and because ultimately it would be an easier way of doing it than the than the PDF, which is really set in stone once you've converted it. Well, and it's vendor neutral, I mean, which is a, a key uh, concern. That is true. Yes, yes, there is that. Laura, what is this going to do to attorney services, the companies that we all hired to take stuff to the courthouse? Well, I think that you're going to definitely see a reduction in their business. I mean, if you can file and access documents online, there's no need for them. Do you think that's one of the reasons that lawyers are embracing this? I think I think it's a definite cost savings. So I think that you know attorneys are going to like anything that reduces their cost and also re reduces human error in a lot of ways too. Did your survey have any kind of rationale about why lawyers are satisfied with uh, the type of this type of e-filing? You know, we don't ask why. That's kind of a that's kind of a subjective thing. Um, however, we definitely get that they are satisfied with the process. Um, you know, and it's all the things that Tom has said and, every, and everyone else here has said. You're not sending staff to the court to file. You're not sending express mail packages. You're not doing all of the the menial work that it takes to get it over there. So what are some of the other uh, findings of your survey with respect to uh, the spread of electronic filing in the courts? Well, we definitely found that it's not really widely available in local and state courts. For state courts, 24% of our respondents said that electronic filing is voluntary and only 8% said it's mandatory. 29% didn't even know about it, local courts and whether, or state courts and whether e-filing was available. For the local courts, 18% said that e-filing is voluntary and 9% said it's mandatory and 30% didn't know. 
And we found that uh, our respondents from the western part of the United States were more likely to say that e-filing was either voluntary or mandatory in both local and state courts, while more respondents from the Midwest region, my region, said e-filing was not available at all in their state and local courts. Were you able to chart at all the growth of e-filing since the last time you surveyed this or over the last uh, period of years? Well, we beefed up the electronic filing section this year, and so the questions about state and local filing are new, so I don't have comparison, level, number, excuse me, comparison numbers for that level of detail. But we have seen overall steady increases in the number of people doing e-filing. Uh, in our 2002 survey, 80% of our respondents said that they never filed court documents electronically. That gives us only 20% who did e-file at least once per year. In last year's survey, 46% said that they filed documents electronically at least once a year, and that number is up to 56% this year. So it is growing. So there's a steady trend, mm -hmm, obviously, definitely. in favor of e-filing. Yes, definitely. Tom, you mentioned that you can file e-file documents all the way up until midnight. Does this mean that we're going to be moving toward, uh, you know, a swing shift for attorneys? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think that it's going to change. I don't think it's going to change any of the habits that the lawyers have. I, I think that one thing to be worried about is procrastination. Um, when you were uh, previously up against a four o'clock deadline, you, you got that. Now that you've got a couple of extra hours to kill before you have to file it, that's the thing I would worry about the most is, is that lawyers are going to wait until the last minute and, and, and file it a little bit too late. Tom, what about the question of verification of electronically filed documents? What steps are being taken to uh, ensure the documents are protected and properly identified and, and traceable? You know, that's kind of a that's a that's a tough question. I, I I've kind of been struggling with how that happens here. When we e-file here, we receive an automatic uh, notification either from the federal court <clears throat> or from the service that we use for state court e-filings that it has been received by that particular entity. Um, we will ultimately get an e-file back or, or a notification on the website if that filing was successful. But um, it's, it's not the same. I, I, I have trouble with the fact that it's not the same that we don't receive back a, a copy of it that has a file stamp. It was, it was received at this time. And that level of certainty is a little concerning to me. Now, I, I have seen people talk about the possibility of, of adding a watermark to your document, and a, a watermark is just simply a, a, a little portion that appears in the background of every page that says this document was filed on, you know, July 5th, 2006. Uh, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of other ways to deal with it, but right now the, the most that we're getting are email notifications from the providers that it was received. And, of course, that a watermark such as that could be questioned by litigants if the, that's if true. the firm is adding it as opposed to the court. That's, a, that's true. Tom, you're talking about providers. Walk us through the actual process on how this works. Well, I can only talk to you about how it happens in Texas. I, I have a general idea of how it happens in the other in the other states. In federal court, it's it's a pretty much the 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 system by court. You are filing with their um, their ECF provider, and and they it is a direct pipeline to the federal court. In state courts, it's a little bit different. Um, Many states have entered into relationships with LexisNexis. They have relationships with, I believe, maybe 25 different states to provide different type of e-filing services. Here in Texas, it's a little bit different, and it's a little bit complicated for people who want to, who first start to, to learn how to get into it. The, the state has established something called Texas Online, and all e-filing goes through Texas Online. However, there is 
sort of a, a middle company there that handles the initial transaction. And there are actually five vendors in Texas who are available to handle it. A, a lawyer can choose any one of the five vendors, and when they file, they file with that company. You register with them, and you actually ent- uh, use their online template to do the filing. But um, what happens then is that that vendor then sends the filing on to the Texas online service, which then forwards it on to the court in question. And so it's it's a little bit more complicated than using LexisNexis, which sends it directly to the court. Here you've got a, a, a middle entity that's in, involved, um, and they all take a little bit of the cut of the filing fee so that everybody gets a little bit for that service. Does that mean it's more expensive than a normal filing fee? I wouldn't say that it's more expensive. I was looking at, at prices that some services are, are uh, charging around the country, and a general... Uh, filing here in Texas uh, cost about somewhere between seven and ten dollars. If there wasn't already a, a, a fee, you know, if you're filing a petition, you have the associated filing fees with that. Uh, but if there is no associated fee with filing the pleading, you're going to run about seven to ten dollars, which is not uh, compared to what I've seen in other states is not is not bad at all. Of course, filing in federal court is absolutely free; they're not going to charge you. So, Laura, did the survey uh, that you've just completed? reveal any concerns or worries among lawyers with respect to e-filing? Well, we don't really ask those questions. Um, I One concern that I would have is, is the um, security, not, not the security of the e-filing systems themselves, but of um, exposing confidential information of clients over the Internet, like Social Security numbers and addresses for bankruptcy and divorce cases, things like that, um, when courts make documents available on their websites. I think that a lot of the security issues are more metadata issues than than um, the security of the actual systems themselves. And, and of course, e-filing and then the, the subsequent availability of those documents on the web are, are Two different steps, really, in some courts. I mean, right. Some courts have, have e-filing but don't make those documents uh, necessarily available to the public, at least. Right. Laura, do you have any recommendations for lawyers that are unfamiliar with e-filing? I mean, what, are they, what steps do they need to take to get up to speed on this? Well, there's a lot of information out there. On um, the LTRC website, we do have an e-filing page that people can go to to get information. If you're filing in federal, well, the first thing you need to do for if you're e-filing, is to check with your jurisdiction that you're going to e-file with. You need to know your local rules, and you need to know the processes and procedures on how you're, because you're going to need to get an account and to, to be able to log into the system. So basically, people really need to check into their jurisdictions and see what the rules are and all the procedures, because every place is going to be a little bit different. Stay with us. We're going to take a short break and come back and uh, get more from our guest, Tom Mile, and Laura Eikens on e-filing. Be back in 60 seconds. We invite you to visit law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. 
or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. Our guests today are Laura Eikens, Senior Research Specialist for the American Bar Association, and Tom Mile, Senior Counsel and Litigation Technology Support Coordinator at Cowles & Thompson. One of the things that I wanted to ask about in terms of uh, where this is all headed, Tom, do you think that this is moving lawyers more toward a paperless office? I think so. I think it's gonna. I think that will be a necessary result of that. I I, I think that uh, we're seeing a lot more lawyers going to paperless offices anyway because it is so convenient and the the premium on office space is is getting to be big. I think that I think that e-filing is going to be sort of a a nudge in that direction, kind of whether the lawyers want to go or not. Where's the move come for e-filing? I mean, is it driven by the courts or is it driven by the litigants? Laura, do you have any findings on that from your survey or from your work at the LTRC? I don't really have any official findings on that. I think in some cases it is coming from the courts and judges. Um, I was looking at a survey by the National Judicial College. It was a survey that was taken last year, and it showed the judges that the increasing volume of paper is a huge problem. About 25% said that they have plans to implement e-filing in their jurisdictions over the next 12 to 18 months. So I think um, people are recognizing that that just the, simply the volume of paper is really astronomical and keeps getting bigger, and e-filing may be one way of helping to manage that. How does this bode for situations like uh, natural disasters, like we experienced in New Orleans, where the court systems are down. Does this make it easier or more difficult for courts to get back up and running again once uh, a natural disaster has occurred? Well, I think it depends on where your backup system is. I mean, if your backup system is local where the natural disaster is, then I think that you're in trouble either way. But if you've got um, some kind of uh, backup that's further away, then I think it might be a little easier because you've still got all your documents there. Craig, can I answer that too? I, uh, I, I think that in terms of New Orleans, I think that it, it had two very distinct uh, uh, results. Katrina had two very distinct results. The, the first was uh, there were lots and lots of paper files in the courthouse that were destroyed that, had they been electronic, would have been easier to recover. 
Um, but by the same token, what was interesting was that the Eastern District of Texas website and all of their electronic filing um, is actually hosted out of New Orleans. And so although we here in the Eastern District were not affected by, uh, by Katrina, um, we were nevertheless affected by our inability to e-file or access electronic files until their, their web server got back online. Are you saying, Tom, that then all of the federal courts are just simply backed up locally and not at some centralized location? I don't know the answer to that. I, I, I would hope that the federal courts have backup procedures that, uh, that, that take them away from their, uh, their, uh, their main location. But, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's actually the case. I had this image of a bunker in NORAD. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not true. Uh, you know, it, it strikes me that uh, it, an interesting aspect of e-filing is that the courts, at least the state courts, and at least the state courts that I've worked in, historically have been notorious for their, their lack of innovation in technology or their lack of funding to be innovative in technology. And so as, as courts move more towards e-filing, is that forcing them to modernize uh, in other ways in terms of their technology as well? I, I don't... I think that it is, uh, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the result. You know, here in Texas, uh, I'll just use Dallas as an example. Um, the Dallas courts have been very slow to move to e-filing. In fact, the Dallas district courts still are not online, where the county courts are actually online and, and our probate courts are online. Uh, by contrast, uh, we have a, a brand-new courthouse that uh, is pretty much state-of-the-art as far as technology is concerned with with all sorts of trial technology available. So I, I think that, that the move to e-filing is forcing lots of state courts to take a look at uh, their infrastructure, but I'm not sure that it's automatically going to result in an improvement to the technology all the way around. So they don't go hand-in-hand hand, is what I don't think saying. so. Laura, how does the uh, court system handle electronic signatures in e-filing? I think each court has different rules. I'm not real familiar with this, um, but I think they have different rules on how they accept electronic signatures. Um, again, this is not an area of my expertise. So I'm not sure if Tom might know more about that. Well, my, my experience is not a whole lot more. I, I understand that there is a, an electronic signature a convention that's out there that I know the federal courts have adopted that if you if you simply type in the signature block a, a slash and an s and another slash followed by the name then that that serves as an electronic signature not sure how the state courts are on that um you know of course if if you if you wind up wanting to be certain you can always take your regular signature and turn it into an image and insert it into the document uh if if that's something that uh that you want to worry about. But I, I don't know that the states have reached any conclusion as far as electronic signatures are, but the federal courts have. Well, so it raises the question of, of whether lawyers and courts need to be concerned about hackers, and is that a, is, does, does e-filing raise the threat of tampering with court files? Tom, do you have any sense of that? I, I, I think, I suppose in any situation, people should be worried about hackers, uh, but I, I have not... There have been no reported instances in either state or federal court uh, as far as hackers getting into the system, and and they are all, uh, I believe, using secure systems. You have to use a password to log in and get into that system and, ha and have an account generally to be able to e-file. And uh, so I think that generally uh, attorneys can can be 
you know, not, not shouldn't have to worry too much about that type. But I think that, as with any system, I think that anything is capable of being hacked. I, I'm just not sure that, that this is one of them. Laura, as we get ready to close our show today, we wanted to find out from you how uh, our listeners can get in touch with you and how they can get the survey that you've worked so hard on. Well, they can get in touch with the LTRC um, through our website, which, again, is www.lawtechnology.org. And from there, on the left side, there's a link to our survey page. Uh, so people can find information on getting the survey from there. Great. And Tom? How do people get a hold of you? How are our listeners going to get a hold of you? Uh, you can get a hold of me uh, probably through my weblog. My weblog, InterAlia, uh, is an Internet Legal Research and Legal Technology weblog at www.inter-alia.net. Laura, I just want to clarify. I'm looking at your webpage right now, and it looks like last year's survey is up, but this year's is not up yet. Is that right, or is it there? Right. Our survey should be released in about a week at the most. It's uh, it's in transit between the printer and the warehouse right now, so it's it's almost there, but not quite. All right. Well, thank you very much to both of our guests. This has been interesting and uh, an informative discussion about e-filing. Great. Thank you very much for participating today. Thanks thank for you. having me. Well, Craig, I guess we'll talk again next week. We will, and uh, maybe looking more, a little bit deeper into the crystal ball. Look forward to talking to you. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.